Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the word of the Lord. What a good thing to know that God's circle includes all of us and that his love extends over all of us. What a privilege to be in that love and have the opportunity to extend that love to others. And you know, I have to tell you, both services, uh, there were a couple of kids that helped out just the way you saw it. If you couldn't see, some of the kids were saying, come on over, come on over. And I pray that God would give us the same fervor that same fervor for others, uh, to encourage other people that God's love is big enough to cover over them as well. Um, this morning, uh, we look at what it means to know that Jesus is Lord, and uh, to know that Jesus is Lord over all, uh, and to know that Jesus, when he says that, makes an exclusive claim that he is the only Lord. And that means that we can't just dabble in other religions. That's kind of popular today, right? I mean, you know this to be true. People dabble in all sorts of religions, uh, people who take kind of bits and pieces of different things and say, you know, that kind of, that kind of makes who I am. They take parts of certain religions, and, and kind of some people do it just to cover the bases, right? Like, I just want to make sure, you know, so I got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and that way if any of it's true, I, I certainly have a certain piece of some of it, and so that's good enough. And even sometimes that attitude can creep into, into the lives of believers, uh, and, and I'm going to use a specific example. Don't feel like you're singled out if you've done this. I, I will tell you, lots of people do this. Um, and so don't, again, I just want to caution you because some of you will probably turn beet red and say, I've done that. And oh, is he saying that I'm the worst person in the world? Not at all. But it is an illustration of, of what it means to kind of dabble in different things and to not trust fully in what the Lord says. Now, it's this. Now you're all wondering what I'm building up. It's this. Uh, can you give me that St. Joseph statue? All right. This is a real thing, all right? This is a St. Joseph home sale kit. This is from the Catholic Supply Company. This is completely real, all right? And what happens, I learned about this for the first time some years ago. What you do, there's this tradition that is formed that St. Joseph is the patron saint of home sales. And so what you do is you buy a statue of St. Joseph. And so you're nodding your heads, so you know exactly what I'm gonna say. You dig a hole in front of your house if you wanna sell your house. You get this statue, you put it in upside down and facing out. And then you bury it over. For nine days, you pray this prayer to St. Joseph, and you hope that your home sells. 
right? And the St. Joseph statue is supposed to help you sell your house. The reason why you put it upside down is because the idea is St. Joseph is uncomfortable upside down, so he wants the house to sell so that he can get right side up again. I'm not making this stuff up, all right? You sell him facing outside away from the house, or you put him upside down facing away from the house because that's where you want to go. You want to go away. It's St. Joseph because you might recall after the birth of Jesus, Joseph took Mary and the child and fled to Egypt, right? So he knows what it is to sell a house and to move, right? Now, now people do this. In fact, I remember standing in a circle of like four or five people, first time that I had heard about this, we started talking about it, and, and two of the people in the circle admitted they had done this. And I'm sitting there going, you're Lutherans, like, like, we don't do the saint thing, right? We don't, we don't pray to saints. And, and the line was, well, I'm, j- I'm just, just in case. Like, what can it hurt? Right? So, like I said, if you've done that again, it's not, it's not to pick you out or to pick on you because we do this in lots of ways. But we don't need to. We don't need to dabble in superstitions. We don't need to believe that God works based on certain incantations. And if we do these things or don't do these things, then he may or may not respond. Instead, we learn of a Jesus who is Lord over all. We learn that God is quite serious about this. But a God who says over and over again in the Old Testament and the New, things like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What does that mean? means it's not the burnt offering ceremony that makes God pay attention to his people. He desires the heart. He desires an acknowledgement of God, of who he is. And that's what it means to say we don't have to dabble in these other religions or we don't have to cover the bases. We can know instead that Jesus is Lord over all. That's the lesson that the Canaanite woman learned on this day with Jesus. The Canaanite woman came to Jesus seeking something. She wanted help. She was in a a relatively hopeless situation. Her daughter was demon-possessed, and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know where she could turn to get the help that she needs, and she had heard somewhere about this Jewish healer. She had heard somewhere about this Jesus, and when she heard about this Jewish healer, she saw him as a, a potential person who could make her daughter well. She has great intentions. When we first encounter her, we see her falling before Jesus and saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Those words are are laden words. Those words are speaking to an Israelite. Those words are speaking to a Jewish healer. She's appealing to Jesus using words that describe who he was as the son of David. Remember David, right? The great king of Israel, the great king over Israel that all the Israelites hoped to get back to again at some day. And here was David, she was declaring to be the son of David, to be the one who sat on his throne over whose reign and rule God blessed. She was appealing to him as someone who was other. And even that phrase, have mercy on me, was one that the Israelites repeated over and over again from the Psalms. It was a, it was a catchphrase. It was, a, it was an incantation. It was a prayer that the Israelites knew that was filled with Jewish meaning. And when we get that straight, then we can begin to understand Jesus' reaction to her. Because what she's doing is appealing to Jesus as a Jewish healer. And as such, Jesus has no business with her. And so this is what it says in the scriptures. 
after she cries out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer her a word. That's hard to read, isn't it? It's hard to hear. I prefer the reading from last week where Jesus immediately reaches out to Peter and heals him. But instead, here is Jesus hearing the words of this woman who's crying out to him, asking for help, and Jesus responds by ignoring her. He responds by not speaking a word. And to make matters worse, the disciples come to him and say, don't just ignore her, Jesus. Send her away. Get rid of her. Get her out of our sight. She's bothering us. It's hard for us to see this moment. That's why it's imperative that we keep it in context, that we understand what's going on here. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus reacts this way when she appeals to him as a Jewish healer. We shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has no business with her. In fact, it was Jesus himself who spoke the words Matthew records in chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Put those things together to understand what's happening in this scene. That Jesus is ignoring her because she's trying to get something out of him. She's appealing to him just in case, but she doesn't really know him. But when this exchange happens, after Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, the woman came and knelt before him. The word used for knelt before him means to worship. She fell down in front of him and worshiped him, saying, Lord, save me. All those other appeals, all those other attempts, thinking if I just get the words right, if I just sound like an Israelite, then he'll do this for me. I've passed away. They've gone to the side, and now it's just she and Jesus. Lord, help me. But Jesus pushes her on this. He challenges her on these words? Is there an actual change in her? Has there been growth? Because that's what God desires in all of these situations, that we would grow in the midst of our trials, that we would grow in the midst of the most difficult moments. Has there been transition and change in her? And so Jesus reminds her of her appeal. I'm not for you. You're a Canaanite. You've come to me as an Israelite. We are not the same. This is how he says it. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's hard to read those words. Did Jesus really just call her a dog? Does it make it any better that he uses a diminutive so he calls her a puppy? Kind of paints the picture of how, of how she was acting toward him that moment, right? The way that a puppy does coming up and insisting, coming up and not really knowing what's going on. And it doesn't make it any better, though, does it? Now listen to how she responds. In humility, she says to Jesus, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And you begin to see this woman's heart 
And you begin to watch and see this transformation in her from the one who is ignored to the one who is called a dog to the one who is then commended. As she says these words to Jesus, she expresses them in, in complete humility before him. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. She's willing to conform her life. She's willing to allow herself to be called a dog under the master's table because the crumbs are enough for her. Because she knows that the crumbs come from her Lord's table. She knows that the crumbs mean that her daughter can be healed. The crumbs mean that the Lord is her Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And listen to how Jesus' tone changes. Woman, you have great faith. Woman, you have great faith. What makes her faith great is that she has placed it in a great Lord. She's no longer on the fringe just trying to reach out. Instead, she's saying, this is my situation. This is my life. You are my Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, whatever you give me is enough for me. And what Jesus does is commends her faith and heals her daughter. He's used this difficult situation to make a transformation inside of her. And we learn that faith is great when it's placed in a great Lord. There are takeaways for us, things that we have to grasp in this text, things that we have to wrestle with in our own lives. The first one is that you can't appeal to a God that you do not know. You can't appeal to a God that you do not know. You can't stand on the sidelines and just dabble. You can't believe that you can just say some incantations. You can just say some prayers, and as long as they're in the right form and done in the right order, then God's going to give you what you want. You see, that belief, that belief is a belief in just covering your bases. It's a belief in just dabbling in this thing called Christianity. It's treating God as if he's some kind of a divine vending machine. And if I put in just the right amount of money and I push B16, I can get the thing that I want. That's not the way that our God works. Our God is the God who says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. It means we don't have to pray prayers spoken in the correct language and things uttered in the right order. It means that we don't have to come to worship in this way just so that we can get what we want, but instead, out of our hearts, we appeal to our Lord. Out of our hearts, we appeal because great faith is placed in a great Lord. And when we allow that to happen, we realize that this truth is in us as well, that our lives need to be conformed to who Jesus is, not the other way around. Our lives need to be conformed to who Jesus is as Lord, not the other way around. This woman in humility allows herself to be ignored, and to be insulted. Yet she expects that, because that's the way of the world. But it's when in humility she appeals to Jesus, when she says, you are my Lord, Lord, help me, that Jesus responds to her, that he commends her great faith, that we begin to see all that's truly happening here, and that our own, our own unwillingness to conform is exposed. We think to ourselves, sometimes we're willing to set our faith aside for the sake of convenience. But God's using everything in this world to transform us 
God's using everything in this world to cause us to grow, to know him more. And so we ask that question about ourselves. Is the way that we live truly a reflection of what we believe? Is the way that we live, our actions, our speech, our thoughts, are they truly a reflection of what we believe about Jesus as Lord, that we acknowledge who he is, that we say that he is truly the Lord over all, that he is truly the one who is jealous for us? And if it is, then what are we asking God to do? Because that's the final part of this. Great faith is placed in a great Lord to do great things. This woman came in humility before Jesus, finding out that he wasn't just some Jewish healer, but instead the Lord over all. And as a result of her great faith, she appealed to him to do something that no one else could do. She appealed to him to heal her daughter, to drive out the demon that had possessed her daughter. And in that moment, her daughter was healed. Brothers and sisters, so often, Our faith isn't great because it's not placed in a great Lord, because we don't anticipate that he will do great things even now, and God is calling us to something greater. God is calling us to place our faith in him, and God is calling us to insist on these things. So I challenge you, and I acknowledge the challenge in my own life, to ask God to do great things. You know, I'm one who, I tell you every week, I'm a sports fan, and one of the things that frustrates me so much is after someone, God, give me that picture, Andrew. After a touchdown is scored, by the way, you'll be happy that I picked neutral teams. Right, after a touchdown is scored, what happens? Like, praise Jesus. After a home run is hit, praise Jesus, right? And the thing that always drives me crazy about that is like, what happens when you strike out? Or when you drop the touchdown pass, right? Is Jesus still praised then? And I've always said, I think that Jesus doesn't care all that much about whether your team or my team wins, though he clearly cares about my team a little more than yours, but that's another story (laughs) for another time. But maybe I'm being too harsh, because at least there's the anticipation that God's going to do something. There's the anticipation that God wants us to succeed, though we won't always succeed, and he uses those difficult moments, those moments of trial, to bring about growth, to bring about dependence, that we would call, be called closer to him. Maybe it's the anticipation that God will do something. It's anticipating that God will do great things. To place in his hands the reconciliation of relationships that seem irrevocably broken. It's placing in his hands those sins that we've kept buried inside of us and saying, Lord, I I don't want to carry this anymore. You, the Lord, already know these things, and so I won't keep them to myself, but I'll confess them to you because I know that you are a great Lord. It's believing that God wants to do something in and through each one of us and that he wants to do something with us corporately, it's praying bold and big prayers for us as a church. I mean, you think about our region, right? The Indianapolis area. You think about Hamilton County where we live. We, we've heard the statistics. 54% of the people in Hamilton County don't have a church. They're completely unaffiliated with any type of church. 54%. Great faith is placed in a great Lord to do great things. 
to use us to have the boldness of our children who would reach out to those around us and to say, come, the circle is big enough. Come, Jesus' love truly surrounds all of us. And it's trusting in the words of this text. From that moment, her daughter was healed. Brothers and sisters, great faith is placed in a great God who does great things in your life and in our lives. For his glory and our good, amen.